This podcast contains mature and adult themes and is not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. The world reads you a particular way. But what happens when you are not any of those labels? You do not fit those understandings and you still would like to live uh, your life a particular way. It, you will have to tell someone that you are not what they assume you to be. And right. that is the stressor of coming out. And it is really, of course, much more than just disclosing to somebody, right? One is that you are never done coming out. No, you still, I am still coming out. <laughs> Every time I'm asked like, oh, but why aren't you married? How many children? And I'm like, nahi. Hola and welcome to the next episode of The Queer Podcast where we're actually exploring one of the biggest issues that face the queer community and has thankfully come to light the importance of good mental health and the issues we face around this. Research shows that our community is prone to much higher rates of suicide, addiction and self-harming. Why does this occur? What plagues the community more specifically over others? Let's find out. We have with us in the studio the gorgeous and extremely erudite Pooja Nair, cis woman, pronoun she, her. Pooja has worked in the non-profit sector and has been a researcher, consultant, trainer and counsellor. Her areas of focus have been in life skills training, curriculum development, feminist theory, gender, sexuality, violence and child sexual abuse. She practices independently as a psychotherapist and is a faculty member of the Mariwala Health Initiative. Hi Pooja, thank you so so much for coming in. Uh, the last time I saw you, I was a student uh, doing the queer affirmative counselling practice with you. So nice to see you again. Hi Ashish, uh, always a pleasure. I, I think we've, we've had fun. Yes, yeah. And also the way you do the course is so amazing. It's so light and lovely that uh, I can't stop selling it to people. Oh, And lovely. I'm wearing the t-shirt, by the yes, way. Yes, you are. I yeah. noticed it the minute yeah. I met you. Transform, transform the system. So it's uh, spelled transform as in trans, T-R-A-N-S, form as in F-O-R-M. The system is spelled C-I-S, which refers to cisgender system. Yeah. It's a great line. Yeah. And it actually is great because a lot of straight people then ask you about it. Yes. Because they don't get it. So yes. then they ask, like, what does that mean? What do you mean by the system? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I have to say, you're cisgender. And they're like, no. No. I'm like, yes, you are, you idiot. You're, <laughs> you're aligned to the body that you're born in biologically and mentally. So... This is actually very necessary and this was a very necessary episode in Mm -hmm. terms of my thought process that looking at how the queer community is impacted because of mental health issues. Right. uh, It is fortunately something that's coming more and more to light. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a subject that should not and cannot be pushed under the carpet or back into the closet. (laughs) Uh, So I do have a disclaimer. I'm from a 
different generation, very old. So this whole podcast is about me trying to negotiate and figure out my way in the new queer world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so please forgive any transgressions. They come from uh, ignorance, not intent. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Pooja, what I wanted to ask you was that is there a need for mental health help on the whole in India or is this a, just another symptom of being extra woke and oversensitive? And don't kill me for saying that. <laughs> because for you, it must be very obvious. Uh, but, but I suppose sometimes it's good to start with the obvious questions so that they do not become content for rhetoric alone. And I mean, I think we are all a bit tired of rhetoric now and would like to move do work that outlives us all as well yes in some ways so yeah i uh, i think uh, it's a good question to respond to and if there is a need the short answer of course as you predicted is yes in big capital letters absolutely maybe yeah. throw in a few exclamation <laughs> points as well so yes and uh, long answer would be that uh, we have to really look at the history of how the, the LGBTQ community has been seen or treated within the um, side disciplines or, you know, psychology, psychiatry, etc. We have existed in the books as a pathology. Right. Yeah. We are a diagnosis. And when we are a diagnosis, it means that there is a cure that someone is going to create. Because now, you know, if, if we see it as a pathology, the race for cure begins. So we have existed as a pathology and then when some of us entered this space of counselling and psychology and psychiatry, imagine the shock of seeing ourselves as, uh, you know, in the textbook as, uh, as a disease. Needing a cure, yeah. As a disease. Um, and so the, the incongruence and the dissonance of all that, of course, there's something to resolve internally because it's not as if any of us grow up feeling normal, quote unquote. You know, we, we always Absolutely. sense there is something different about us, but different not in a nice way because otherwise we'd go tom-toming it the first opportunity. Correct. Something also tells us that this difference has to be kept quiet. Yeah, there's shame around it. Absolutely. There's shame and there's something, I think some sort of a survival instinct tells you that this is going to put you at risk. This kind of disclosure. So one is the appearance of our lives as pathology. Secondly, it's not an easy life. Uh, and the manifestations of this inequality, discrimination and all, of course, it will show up in um, how we live our lives, how we experience our mental health, how we get through the day, all of these aspects, you know. And that means that we will have mental health challenges. It's not going to be a really rosy uh, sort of state of being if you are constantly being questioned for who you are. Right. Not for what you did. Right. And that difference gets marked very early, right? Yes. Uh, so specifically, why do you think, I mean, you, you've touched on this earlier, but why do you think there's an immediate need for counselling and support to the LGBTQI plus population? And I wanted to also add my perspective as an old person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from my own queer lived experience, uh, I know that you face that struggle a lot when you're growing up and you realize, like you said, that there is a difference between the world and you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there were so many minefields to negotiate at that time. I grew up in the 70s and 80s. So even worse in terms of awareness. Uh, 
there were no role models. My first uh, acknowledgement of a public gay person was Rock Hudson, oh. the Hollywood actor. And he was dying of this terrible gay disease. And it was in all the media in the 80s. And there were pictures of him looking like death. Uh, so it was a very frightening association because he was the first marked out mm. queer person who could be have been a role model. Mm. And to make that association with like a like a disease which basically kills you at that time mm. was a really frightening. I didn't want to be gay at all. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If that was the only person I could see as a role model. So even as a child, you pick up on that attitude and the misconceptions that surround the whole thing. And it's very, very damaging to your psyche, right? So is there, are there any other reasons why you think that specifically our community requires mental health help? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, at QACP and in other spaces, when we're talking about mental health needs of the community, the first and the foremost thing we do highlight is the difference. That yes, Perhaps everyone experiences loneliness, everyone experiences depression, most people experience depression, anxiety and all of that. Yeah. However, there is still something unique to stigmatized populations. And I think that is where we need to um, look at this differently to factor in the difference. Right. There is sameness perhaps in how all of us are human beings, but not all of us are stigmatized. Not all of us are seen as abnormal. Not all of us are seen as quote-unquote deviant. Um, and therefore, the uh, you know, we have this concept of unique life stressors that yeah. we try to understand, um, that we try to use to understand the mental health of uh, LGBTQI community. And it is unique because we use the word unique very deliberately. We say unique because other populations, non-stigmatized communities do not experience the same, the same life stressors. Right. Could you elaborate on some of them? Um, so a few examples of that would be, um, one is the stressor of coming out. Yeah, no one has to come out as heterosexual. Right. You don't need to tell anybody that. Nobody has to come out if they are gender conforming, if they are cisgender. The world reads you a particular way. But what happens when you are not any of those labels? You do not fit those understandings and you still would like to live uh, your life a particular way, it, you will have to tell someone that you are not what they assume you to be. And right. that is the stressor of coming out. And it is really, of course, much more than just disclosing to somebody, right? One is that you are never done coming out. No, you still, I am still coming out. <laughs> Every time I'm asked like, oh, but why aren't you married? How many children? And I'm like, nahi. So it is a constant process. I guess also self-accepting, like you coming to terms with yourself is a unique life stressor for oh, queer absolutely. people. Absolutely. So the um, like we were saying earlier, right, what it does to you internally is that you start wondering if there is something wrong with you. I'm putting it in very simple terms, yeah. of course. But the idea that something is wrong with you and that you're not uh, okay and it's not as if every time someone else brings you to the clinic, there are um, uh, gay men, lesbian women who have walked into a therapist's office and said, I am this and please change me. My God. You know, life is just... And then when you probe further, you realize the story is that life is just too hard. So wow. self-acceptance, uh, imagine not being able to feel okay 
you know within about who you are and about something so core to your identity yeah, absolutely i mean gender and sexuality are so core that the ones who do not have to fight that fight hardly think about it yeah you know is a heterosexual thinking about yeah i tell heterosexual people but you're cisgender and they're like i'm not cis i'm like yes you are <laughs> you don't even know what that term means because you don't even have to have, care about it yes. like you don't even understand somehow stupid men keep making that connection of cis and sissy and they're like i'm not cis i'm like dude it's not short form for sissy gender it's uh, c i s anyway um also i guess uh, you know like dealing with the family is a unique life stressor in that sense uh, disclosing to the family or mm-hmm. the family acceptance mm-hmm. and i guess for the trans experience it's even more complicated and even more unique the unique unique life stressors that they go through yeah so um, sexuality and gender even though we try to sort of understand it as the queer community or the lgbtqi community the challenges are different right I mean here too we would not want to collapse the struggles of say a, a cis lesbian and a trans man we do not want to collapse gender and sexuality even though on some broader political solidarity level all of us would like to imagine ourselves as part of the same community but that does not erase the difference in our struggles sure and uh, gender again being so core i mean the minute a baby is born the first piece of news that you want to tell somebody is whether it's a boy or a girl right no one's going to be satisfied with the fact that oh a baby is born you're not going to phone someone and say baby has come yeah. baby has been born or uh, uh, then you know what your first question is going to be exactly no one's going to be satisfied with that piece of information please tell me how i have to gender this child give me information about genitalia because i know i want to know how i should see this child i mean it is that basic Uh, and if you do not have that information has a child even been born right right <laughs> you know? so yeah when it comes to gender again very very difficult struggles because it's so core and it is one of those things that's constantly policed so i think when we talk about gender and sexuality inequality mental health we need to be aware of all these attempts to correct right that is not only done by the psychiatrist or the cl- clinical person uh but is done by families yep. so again if you come out perhaps the first response is let's take you somewhere yeah you or know. you'll grow out of it or you'll grow it's out just of a it. phase is there something we can do you know the the just the desperation as if you have you know i don't know maybe just told someone you have cancer and you'll die tomorrow or something like that i mean it is experienced as this tragedy so you uh, mentioned stuff actually about gender sexuality so can i just take you back there uh what is gender i know that there is a difference between felt gender and biological gender mm-hmm. could you just for like give us a layman's kind of take on it um so by gender i think um we understand what the, these collection of qualities that come under feminine a collection of qualities that come under masculine words like man woman all of these refer to gender which is how you would like to present to the world right you know how would you like that part of you which is a collection of these qualities how would you like that to be packaged and presented to the world and how would you like to be seen i think it's a very core experience of being seen a particular way um and bodies are just that bodies right however where is it that we run into trouble <laughs> is that we want to tie bodies to an experience that is 
purely of the mind you know right. of the heart of feelings of emotions uh, of presentation but we want to tie it very very narrowly to genitalia right and that's where we uh, i think run into trouble because we cannot separate body from gender and actually they are two entirely different things yeah correct i mean imagine a world of a uh, world where bodies are classified according to the shape of their noses what would have happened to gender in such a world i mean just a thought yeah. experiment yeah actually when you break it down it's fascinating because it really makes you rethink in the course you all had this great exercise that you made us do which was uh, imagine raising a child when you don't know the genitalia mm-hmm. so you raise a child for i think maybe 5 years or 6 mm-hmm. years how would you raise the child mm-hmm. and and when we were doing this as group discussions the amount of things that came out right mm-hmm. from baby's name colors for the nursery you know all that everything yeah. is coded in some way uh, activities toys uh, you know everything so mm-hmm. it was very fascinating to go to when you break down these things and and when you articulate it the way you do mm-hmm. it really sends mm-hmm. the mind into one spin because mm-hmm. it's so ingrained that you don't so we are not ingrained. conscious of the way we think you know what i mean we do think that the most ideal person in society would be would have this so called normal mind would have a so called normal sexuality, sexuality yeah. would have a so called normal gender perhaps also be of other would other fit other boxes of social and cultural identities as well if you know what i mean yeah uh, all of that is the ideal now the funny thing is nobody is ever going to fit the ideal right uh, we will only die trying <laughs> right if you're going to try <laughs> if you want to yeah. try uh and and there are some of us who are set up for failure we will never meet that ideal correct of course right yeah. i mean we are all, i mean I, i as a lesbian woman i'm set up for failure i will never meet the ideal of the sundar sushil bahu I mean, you're both sundar and sushil oh, <laughs> thank you for yeah. saying that uh but i think those qualities are reserved for a, a certain kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. woman right i wonder where they come from where have these ingrained like who sat and wrote this book i i, I wish i knew because uh, you'd kill I, them well, yeah i would <laughs> i think the, short answer the, yes short i'd answer. kill them um so i mean i was reading and uh, the, um, this concept around unique life stresses that you mentioned um a study carried out by the center for disease control and prevention indicated that queer community members consider suicide three times more when compared to heterosexual community members some of the common mental health issues that we suffer from are depression and anxiety which i think everyone has had some form of relationship with being queer at mm-hmm. some point uh, lgbtq plus youth are likely to suffer 1.75 times more anxiety and depression the transgender community is even more vulnerable as they suffer 2.4 i don't know how they get these stats but 2.4 times higher anxiety and depression according to the trevor project which is a well known right yeah uh, which studies youth mm, an indian study showed that over 50% of youngsters who come out as gay lesbian bisexual or transgender face a negative reaction from their family 
so more than the majority mm-hmm. right what what can we say about this or do about this is that why you felt like this pressing need to address the queer community specifically and also your own uh, sort of sorority with it um absolutely i mean i'm i'm glad that we also have some kind of data because most often we are so invisible that someone is going to say well i don't know any gay person what are you talking about you know i i don't think we need to talk about this issue this doesn't seem to i mean the court said minuscule minority right yes so <laughs> uh so we are not seen as significant enough to be responded to first right. of all um though obviously we are in the millions even if you take that conservative estimate that it's yes. 8% of the population yes. we are already yes. in some 150 million absolutely because we have not into this added how we have been invisibilized corrected i mean there are studies that are done on you know what is mystically called conversion uh, yes. therapy god and uh, some of the studies uh, in that they mark success as marriage if after con- as if you no know, marriage is marriage the is, yeah but imagine cure of your queerness exactly but imagine how faulty that measure is if you want to take a number of gay and lesbian people and you want to say that those who are married are no longer uh, gay or lesbian yeah or lesbian i mean they i think the, that would be a very faulty yeah data. and clearly that person's not on grinder because i think half of grinder is married <laughs> men who refuse to share their details and mm. pictures and are so shady uh, that you know they are married yeah yeah but at the same time i feel like you can't single them out because you know it is so difficult yes, yes. i never uh, i feel like i can never criticize someone for not coming out because mm. you don't know what their own unique life stresses or their own unique Absolutely. journey is and Absolutely. especially in the indian context it's so yeah. fraught with yeah. other issues as well yeah. Yeah. you know i mean i'm i'm glad you uh, bring this up because otherwise the the kind of media or conversations we consume are so westernized right wherein coming out is seen as this extremely celebratory not only celebratory uh, moment but almost essential to living your queer life and this part of the world um, i mean we know the consequences to some of that yes nobody is anybody to tell another person to come out yeah. because you're not going to be there when you know violence happens uh, when the shit hits the fan <laughs> yes know, exactly you, know, you would be at a very very safe distance and if you want to if someone who is not from the community is glorifying coming out i would be very very afraid yeah Uh, at that point and one of the uh, really practical answers that i've got was like dude if i come out i'm going to be disowned i'm not going to have any access to the family yeah. to the inheritance to the business to whatever which seems like a very material decision but mm-hmm. it is a very uh, you know absolutely fundamental and logical and honest mm-hmm. answer that i cannot come out to my family mm-hmm. and this this connection is not easy for a lot of people to accept because we are fed on tale fairy tales of how family loves you unconditionally and that family will always be, be there and blood is thicker than water just wait till you come out as not heterosexual or not cisgender right and then we'll see matlab yeah. what is thick and what what yeah. is not yeah. the, the the beautiful story of unconditional love just collapses yeah no even like again just personalizing this uh, my mom you know very progressive very liberal single woman best friend was a gay man mm-hmm. but when i came out it 
she just shut down for many years. She couldn't talk about it. And I think somewhere because she was a single mother, she was computing that it had something to do with her, though mm -hmm. she didn't obviously, you know, vocalize that. And for years, when I tried to broach the subject, she'd be like, you don't need to talk about your sexuality. But there was mm -hmm. a total shutdown. Like, you don't ask me about mine. I don't need to tell you what mm -hmm. happens in my bedroom. You don't need to tell me. And I kept kind of struggling with that because I was like, you're not understanding that it's more than just the yes. in-bed business, right? It's a, it's a life that I'm living. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think even, even when it comes to your like parents who are very liberal, there is a struggle. Absolutely. And mine was privileged. You know what I mean? I was yeah. at the privileged end of things. So you could, I mean, we don't, we know how horrific it can be. Oh yeah, absolutely. All this makes me think of another concept you'd introduced us to, which was the concept of the charmed circle. Mm -hmm. Could you please tell us a little bit about that? Because I think it's like a fascinating idea. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, charmed circle was developed by this um, feminist, queer feminist uh, scholar in the US called Gail Rubin. Uh, and I think it's a great concept to understand social inequality. And when we use it at uh, QACP, hmm. uh, we try to understand sexuality and gender through the, uh, through the concept of the charm circle. And we try to unpack what normal means. What is this most acceptable gender? What is the most acceptable heterosexual, uh, what is the most acceptable sexuality? And then how do we map that? I mean, it's almost like a visual mapping also, because there is this sweet circle in the center with all things ideal. Right. And then, as I said earlier, the rest of us trying to get fit, in, yeah. get in <laughs> or be thrown out. Yeah. And another important thing about the charm circle is that there are rewards for being inside. Right. And there are punishments for not fitting. Correct. So this becomes the mold through which all all of us are viewed. Know, evaluated and viewed. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, sad but true is the fact that even within the community, there are charmed circles. Right. right? Uh, so I know that I'm being cisgender, gay, mm -hmm. male and privileged to be educated, out, mm -hmm. earning. Mm -hmm. I'm at the top of the heap in, in the charm circle there. Mm -hmm. uh, but then again, there's that fraction of top, bottom, masculine, feminine. Mm -hmm. mm. Straight acting gay is a few notches higher than <laughs> uh, gay acting gay or whatever, mm -hmm. feminine acting gay. And of course, every all the empowerment is for the closer you are to Absolutely. Uh, masculine, and the ideal normative kind of thing. Yeah. Um, is there a similar power dynamic uh, amongst lesbian women? Like, do these, does this fascism exist within? <laughs> uh, so, there is, of course, the fact that they are women. Right. So, in a patriarchal setup, there is that inequality. Um, within that, however, the masculine as more powerful and feminine as not is something that I think lesbians manage to turn upside down. Right. You know? That's interesting. Yeah, because uh, the masculine woman is the wrong kind of woman. Not only is she woman, but she's the wrong kind of woman. <laughs> right. Uh, which means that the attempts to correct, because she's gender non-conforming, are far greater. I... I mean, I'm wearing a sari right now with all the um, other... Yeah, uh, you're uh, very 
feminine presenting if I, I may say I will not be stopped walking into a washroom I mean dare anybody stop because right. of my also class presentation and confidence and all dare anyone stop me from walking into a washroom and using facilities for a very very basic function right but my partner who's a masculine woman has to think twice first of all she does not drink water if travels are planned oh my god yeah she starts you know it's so horrible to say that she yeah. starts dehydrating herself about a couple of hours before we have to be on the road if we are you know driving somewhere or if we have to travel she does not drink water because this whole going into a washroom is such a big uh, event so anxiety wow. inducing and i'm sure a lot of uh, trans people of have course. the same of experience course. as well you yeah. know i mean when it comes down to um, basic amenities and basic rights like right to use a washroom is when you realize that this is not woke uh, young and you know all those other yeah. sort of disclaimers that you were trying to make yeah. in the beginning it's it's none of that imagine having to think about where will i be yeah. will i be stopped will i have to point at my breasts and say please let me in don't go by my hair or right. my shirt you know wow That's crazy. So I'm saying you and me are privileged in that respect, in the sense we present according gender to conforming yeah, gender conforming. Yeah, gender conforming. Yeah. The other side of it is, of course, invisibility. Right. Uh, because I will perhaps not be seen as authentically queer, because I seem to fit all all the boxes, and then there is a sudden surprise ending. You know. <laughs> So, but she's a lesbian. <laughs> but she's a lesbian. Right. Everything else seems to fit, and then suddenly there's this tantrum. Yeah. yeah. Why is there such a marked presence of issues such as health, self-harming, addiction, and self-punishing behavior patterns? So, again, going back to the Trevor Project. 52.9% of MSMs were likely to have found some psychiatric morbidity mm -hmm. and LGBTQ+ youth are more than four times as likely to attempt suicide that is a really really frightening statistic i guess we've been talking about it but is there anything else that we can add to to all that we've discussed in terms of why is this is there so much self harm and also self harming behaviors which mm -hmm. we've all indulged in at some point yeah yeah mm -hmm. so uh, i'd like to add it also from the point of view of you know quote unquote addictions or substance use or self harm and all of that in in the mental health field also we've been pushing for these to not be seen as pathology to not stigmatize uh, addiction but to see what is what is happening what is behind right um, uh, these behaviors that you see as addiction and uh, again the short answer is suffering right you know newer frameworks to understand addiction are showing that there is a lot of trauma behind it there are a lot of um, difficulties that the person has experienced it is at at a lot of times coping uh, with stressors yeah. now maybe your way of coping is jogging in the morning and my way of coping is perhaps using substance we right. are both trying to survive right yeah but we would value the jogging above the other but we are not questioning that these two individuals are suffering right right so if we stop at questions of substance use or self harm we are we've still not arrived at the underlying 
sort of challenge which yeah. is suffering which is discrimination which is violence which is just constantly feeling like you do not belong anywhere right you know i i mean i hope i don't get arrested for this but smoking up now that was something i mm. fell into in my 20s and it i think it took about 15 years for me to meet somebody from the mental health space mm -hmm. a friend actually not a counselor or not official not that somebody i was seeing uh, who said to me but you're self medicating and when she told me that it really hit me because i was like what it took me some time to process that my uh, sort of over reliance on pot or that every night i have to smoke up was actually self medicating in a way mm. right yeah i guess yeah. that's something you are familiar with and you unfortunately have to see quite often in 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 the queer community yeah absolutely absolutely and and uh, you know so it's not as if anyone is not aware of the harmful effects of absolutely substance use yeah. right even the ones who use are aware why 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 is it still in use yeah. i mean all of us are very aware and uh, educated about the harmful effects and we still use right and it it points to an unanswered question yeah. and i think that that is the that is where you have to go when you say self medicate there is the um, what is the underlying sentiment there that's there is suffering right something's not okay right and right now the only way i have to fix that pain or to not feel that pain is through numb myself to numb something yeah yeah so i i think even again just to add in within space the space of uh, substance use and all we are continually moving towards harm reduction because none of us seem to have been able to reduce suffering right uh, in any way right yeah. i wonder is there just thinking while you were speaking is there any element of rebellion about these things do you think subconsciously it's also like screw the world i'll do what i want even though i know it's bad to do like is there some hitting out that happens subconsciously at the world you know from my experience i mean what i have encountered um is uh, it it's not about i will do what i want to do it's more about what will happen if i use i mean maybe in in two years my liver will collapse or i will die so what which right. imagine the absence of the possibility of a future and what that could do to your risk taking behaviors wow you know if i cannot imagine a future for myself in this world if i cannot meet someone i want to or if i cannot imagine love the way i want to i cannot imagine community because that's that's been taken away as well right what are my possibilities for a future and if i cannot engage in that very um, i think most people have ideas about their future and hope to meet it at some yeah. point yeah yeah but imagine what the absence of it could do you know and what that could lead to in terms of taking risks with your self health and an example here is um, you know in 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 bangalore there was this uh, ngo and a lady was working there and she, and this ngo was working with sex workers right and uh, th this ngo lady uh, a functionary there she used to wonder why these women are not saving money you know she would say let's do financial literacy jayenge paise matlab they should save for future, future. what will happen after retiring what if they are no longer in that age that they want to do um and they should save now this seems very common sensical wisdom absolutely you know? we yeah. should want, of course one yeah. should save what will happen when we are older what happens to those who cannot imagine beyond the next week 
there's police violence yeah there could be risk health uh, a risk to health there could be violence from perhaps a, a client or mm. a customer so much vulnerability and in that you want the person to also imagine they will reach age 55 and will have this nice nest egg to you know draw Fall from and how do we imagine people having dreams and hopes and pictures of their future right wow so it's in some ways it's a fuck it i might as well have fun while i can i wouldn't blame them yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely when you break it down like this again yeah. makes absolute sense that yeah. why would i be thinking of 30 years later when i don't know what's going to happen in 30 <laughs> days right yeah um another of course very difficult area for us queer people is relationships mm-hmm. it was very difficult to negotiate these relationships right one of course was the thing that uh to get my boyfriend to even acknowledge where they were in terms of this relationship was mm-hmm. hard uh tremendous insecurity obviously and a feeling that oh you know he is going to go with a girl at some point or he is mm-hmm. going to find a woman attractive at some point mm-hmm. so that whole uphill struggle and the challenging world where we didn't fit in i mean literally i remember with one partner of mine there were like four places in bombay that we could go to mm. certain restaurants the cinema because it was dark and yeah, anonymous yeah, yeah. the sea face like mm. it was literally so awkward when one went out and met somebody either from his world or mine mm-hmm. just to explain this dynamic and also i think you know there was a socio economic difference so again that was very difficult to negotiate uh i came out of my 30s so burnt by these experiences and i've never been in a relationship after that mm-hmm. which is sad you know what i mean that mm-hmm. i i felt it was easier to be single mm-hmm. and now to of course mm-hmm. i'm sitting there thinking have i missed the boat i should have kept trying or whatever do you know what i mean but queer relationships are really hard to negotiate in in a world where you don't know or you don't have patterns absolutely i mean hard on so many levels uh, that it's a wonder that some survive sometimes i think it is just fluke because the forces that exist to not make it happen are just far more first as you said the challenge of finding someone i mean there is no address to go and Uh, yeah you know figure hello out. single lesbian women <laughs> yes yeah. uh there's that then you find someone and then the job of keeping them because that's when you realize that for example i mean this uh trouble that you said you know of uh worrying that your partner will eventually marry yeah and uh leave the relationship now that is a stressor that's playing out between the two of you between right. you and your partner but we know that the source is the charm circle yes yeah so imagine the amount of social stressors that the couple has to deal with deal with in addition to their own personal journeys and personal histories of discrimination and violence and self doubt and all of that so it's not as if you stop being discriminated because you are in a couple perhaps chances are more there is the safety yeah. thing to negotiate as Correct. well at all times yeah. so and where are the support systems what will help you you know there is no uh, kindly aunt who will give you a cup of tea and say talk about your partner yeah who is invested in keeping queer couples together i don't i don't yeah, think there's many, anybody yeah. and then there's just these two people trying to you know thrash about in waters and trying to keep their head above 
Uh, and there's no script really to <laughs> follow. No. Like heterosexual people have it all laid out. You just watch five rom coms and you know absolutely. the absolutely, absolutely. Of course, then you live with the disappointment of the rom coms not really playing out. <laughs> yeah, but that's another story. Yeah. So did you and Shruti have to like write your own script? Ah, uh, we had to. Absolutely. I mean, I think the the absence of scripts did play play out in our lives as well because. you know i will i mean other than the problems that we just discussed something else that was um, difficult in our lives was we met in our 30s we are not meeting as 22 year olds 24 year olds who are just setting off on life yeah. and uh, perhaps just finding out that life is hard in many other ways not yeah. just sexual identity but we met in our mid 30s and uh, I mean, imagine the baggage. Yeah, of course. Uh, meeting in mid thirties, the number of heartbreaks, all other kinds of assorted trauma. Informing this relationship. Uh, informing yeah. this relationship. It was. It is not even a situation where we can at this point live together. Uh, you know, we have separate residences because we built our separate lives. Even though we were not in relationships, we still had to survive. We still had to live our lives and, and create your own and create our own space. I mean, there was no way to wait for something to happen and then, you know. So we are not waiting in our fathers' yeah. homes to be married off and go to the husbands' homes. We yeah. are trying to just survive. Yeah. So meeting in our thirties with considerable baggage and other support systems and all of yeah. that, and how do we then incorporate all of this into this two-person? unit right as we a challenge so let's talk about the mariwala health initiatives amaze balls queer <laughs> affirmative course it's genesis why and how did this happen how why did you all create this course for mental health counselors so um mhi has always wanted to work on mental health of the marginalized Amazing. because as i you know as we said earlier if you do not acknowledge this difference that is hierarchized if you do not acknowledge inequality then we are simply siding with the powers that be and not really helping those who are at the receiving end of this inequality right so that's where mhi has always liked to locate itself on the margins or mental health for the margins and uh, gender sexuality is and was an area that they wanted to also get into and shruti Uh, was my partner who's chief advisor at MHI wanted to bring together a group of uh, you know M- M- practitioners who are also queer right in order to develop this course because i mean uh, it's not going to be taught in colleges no chance our curriculum yeah. would sooner teach you to cure than to respect uh, and, and so the need for this Uh, was very strongly felt by all of us because of our personal experiences and what we had encountered in the profession because we are all mental health practitioners yeah. so she got together this group and we decided to create a course because we had to take the bull by the horns we had to say that there is a way to do this differently but obviously we cannot just leave it at that to to see through that promise we had to deliver on also a course which would tell you what 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 we mean what to do when a queer person comes there and all your prejudices are activated yeah. in your minds but it's it's amazing and i know uh, you know i i was one of the queer people in the course so uh, a lot of it felt familiar to me but i know that some of the uh straight women in that course were really uh, their minds were just rejected <laughs> completely like they mm-hmm. walked out of there just i think as different people mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, really hats off to you guys as well as to the Mariwala Health Initiative for supporting and for doing this um, more than timely. Uh, could you suggest some uh, resources for people who might be tuning in and uh, perhaps need some help? Where, where does one start looking for help in a mental health space as a queer person who is struggling? Mm-hmm. So, um, Mariwala Health Initiative is trying to train as well as put together resources. So I think that the website there, uh, the MHI website has a dedicated tab uh, to queer affirmative work. Cannot miss it. There's a rainbow pattern and all that. Right. Uh, and that is in some ways a repository of a lot of material. Okay. And would be a great starting point for anyone who wants to... Reading, familiarizing. There's readings, there's videos, uh, multiple languages. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much for doing this. I know how hard-pressed you are, so I really appreciate it. So many, many thanks from the community for doing what you do. Uh, thank you. And thank for you taking this time. Uh, there was a beautiful line that I heard, uh, read in your during the course uh, by Audrey Lord, uh-huh. if I'm pronouncing it correctly, mm-hmm. uh, which says, Caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. Powerful. Tan, tan, tan. Yes. All right, Pooja, thank you so much. Thank you so much for also having me here. I think uh, all of us who have been, who have benefited from the support from community, I think these are ways in which we pay it forward. So I yeah, think give back in I some way. Yeah. Consider Brilliant. this. Thank you. Thanks. to The Queer Podcast, hosted by Ashish Soni. Produced by Audiomatic. Producers for Audiomatic, Akanksha Kadam and Avdut Khanulkar. Assistant Producer, Nitesh Zuvare. Original title track by Shrijit Vijayan. Sound Design Mix and Master by Team Audiomatic. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guest and do not reflect the policy or position of any organization, entity or platform. This podcast is not intended to harm, defame or offend any individual, group or organization and any references made to persons, living or deceased, are purely coincidental and not intended to be taken as factual statements. Listener discretion is advised.